0: Welcome to Inside the Vatican, I'm your host, Colleen Dully. The Synod is bringing together voices from around the world with an enormous diversity of experiences, so it's difficult to articulate a single narrative of what's being said or heard in the Synod Hall. Father Clarence Davidas, a priest of the Archdiocese of Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, has some experience with that. He's a full voting member of the Synod. He helped to draft the Asian Continental Document, which brings together the stories of the world's largest and most populous continent. And now he'll be helping draft the final document of this session of the Synod on Synodality. In this episode, Jerry and I interview him about what the Asian delegation is bringing to this Roman phase of the Synod, and what it's like to try to bring together such diverse experiences. Father Clarence also hosts a podcast called Catholics at Home, and in the second half of the show, we talk about the Synod's focus on helping young people become digital missionaries. So stick around for that conversation, but first, a quick update on what's happening at the Synod right now. This morning, October 23rd, the Synod began its last section, discussing and drafting its final documents. There are two bodies working on that drafting. There's a team of theologians who are doing the writing, and then there's a team of synod members elected by the synod body with some additional papal appointees, and they're overseeing the writer's work. We'll have more on that in our Thursday episode. And now a quick word from our sponsors. This timing couldn't be more perfect. We're here in Rome covering the synod on synodality, which will have huge implications for the church around the world. So, there's no better time to tell you about an upcoming conference at the University of San Diego that will explore what it means to be a Catholic college or university today. It's called Lighting the Way Forward, and it'll look at timely topics like climate change, structural racism, polarization, and the lack of trust in institutions. They're asking really honest questions that affect everyone, just like the Senate is doing. The conference will take place from January 11th through 13th, 2024. The speaker lineup includes Cardinal Robert McElroy, a frequent writer in America, Vincentian Father Dennis Holtschreider, who is the president of the Association of Catholic Colleges and Universities, and our friend and colleague Gloria Purvis, host of the Gloria Purvis podcast. For the complete lineup and to register for the Lighting the Way conference, visit their website at san slash lighting. That's san slash L I G H T I N G. Now, on to our conversation with Father Clarence Davidas. Welcome to Inside the Vatican, Father Clarence.
1: Thank you very much, Colleen, for having me here this afternoon.
0: I'm really excited to have you. And we're also joined by my co-host, Gerard O'Connell, longtime Vatican correspondent.
2: Thank you. I'm very welcome, Father. Maybe you tell us a little about the church in Malaysia from which you come.
1: The church in Malaysia is a very small church. Christians are about 10% of the population, and half of it would be Catholics. The early traces of Christianity would be the Portuguese missions that came to Malaysia in the 1500s. We are kind of a, you know, a, a growing church. I would think, in the sense that it's quite diverse. We live in a in a country that is multicultural, multi religious, and, and so uh, a lot of times our our churches are concentrated in in major cities and in some parts also in the interior. If you know the geography of Malaysia, Malaysia has got two parts. One is the peninsula, and one is in the island of Borneo. So the demographics are quite different in each part of Malaysia.
0: And. Can you describe what your role in the synodal process so far has been, like starting in 2021? When Pope Francis
1: announced the synodal process uh, in the Federation of Asian Bishops' Conferences, we had been preparing for what we call the FABC 50, which was the 50th anniversary of the beginning of the Conferences of Bishops in Asia. So we had two things running at the same time, so I was in the organizing team, and when we Planned it so we thought how could we dovetail both events together. So, beginning with the FABC 50 and then moving on to the Asian Continental Synod. So, in that sense, it was quite a good process. And my involvement in it, because I was in the organizing team, also started preparing for the Synod. In order for us to prepare for the Asian Continental Synod, we had to go through all the reports and come up with the final document for the Synod. And that was the synthesis that we did uh, from all the different reports, bringing it down to, we've only given 20 pages. Uh, so we had to come up with a report in preparation and to help the Synod come up with the Instrumentum Laboris.
0: And now you're doing something similar in this Synod, right?
1: Well, I got elected to the commission for the synthesis report.
0: I think that warrants congratulations. <laughs>
1: that simply means more work because all <laughs> the days when the delegates are, are, are having an off day, we are working. Yeah, right. Uh, and so that's why I think, you know, Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's a good experience in the sense that we are, we are supposed to work on a, on, on a report that comes out uh, at the end of this whole session to help the church towards the next uh, assembly.
2: So how many are working on that synthesis report?
1: So each continent had to nominate one person. So they elected one person from the continent. There was a kind of a voting process. Uh, Then members of the uh, Senate Secretariat uh, and the Polifather, I think you've seen it uh, already reported, had nominated three other people. So I I think we are about uh, 12 people on the commission. Do you sit around a round table? Yes, we do. We do. <laughs> we actually do.
0: <laughs> the key the key symbol of the synod, the round tables. I want to hear about your experience so far in this gathering. As much as you're comfortable sharing, what has the experience been like? What have you tried to, to bring to it from Asia?
1: So I think what is important to remember is that you know, we started this whole synod with a retreat. That kind of put us in a particular frame of mind. That we're not just going there to discuss, to solve the problems of the world, of the church, you know. But we are entering into a kind of a, a sacred moment, a sacred space. And I think that retreat kind of, for me at least, put me into a, a right frame of mind. And I think that helped a lot of us. Firstly, we did the retreat also in small groups. Got to know different people from different parts of the world and to also be able to listen to their own experiences.
0: Right. You did a little bit of the practicing of the synodal style of conversations that you would then go on to do in the hall at that retreat, right?
1: But a lot of us have already done it at the national level, at the parish levels. We have done this kind of conversation. So it wasn't something really new, but it's just that the experiences that are being shared in the group, very diverse. Whereas if you come from from Malaysia or if you come from Asia, you know the context, you know the experience, but you have lived there. But now you're listening from people from all parts of the world and that dynamics in itself is very enriching.
2: What has particularly struck you in listening from the other continents, as it were? Have you been at a synod before?
1: No, this is my first one. This
2: is your first one. so Actually,
1: when I, when I took part in the Asian Continental Synod, I was kind of blown away. Because sometimes when you are in the church and you are within the, the system and, and the structures, your issues are, are, are very, very focused on your context. And, and when you listen to other people, and you begin to realize that the church is much bigger than this, I, I give you a simple example, at least for Asia, I, I could share with you. You know, in, in some parts of Asia, especially in in urbanized societies, in cities, where in a city you may find three, four, five churches, parishes that are there, and people are are, are jumping from one church to another, looking for the perfect priest, looking for the perfect congregation, looking for the perfect liturgy. In some parts of Asia, uh, there are no priests, and and they are saying. Bishop, can you just send us a priest, any priest, just to, to offer us the Eucharist? And you really begin to understand that some of our problems and some of our challenges are nothing compared to what other people are facing. And so it kind of puts a certain perspective of how you're looking at church. In, like in Malaysia, everybody is saying, you know, oh, when we come to church, we have no parking lots. We can't park because there's limited space. And then you hear in some place, they walk five kilometers to go to Mass. So it begins to kind of open your eyes to the different realities. And coming here it's a bigger reality and you begin to realize that, you know, the church is so diverse. One of the things that really kind of like uh, struck a chord with me, there isn't one solution that's going to solve all the problems of the church. It's so diverse. Uh, It's so different. And and just listening to people from from different parts and you know what their concerns are. And and one thing one has to remember that your concern may not be the concern of the whole church and your concern may be very localized to, to your continent, to your context, Uh, it doesn't apply to another part of the continent.
0: Yeah, I mean, Asia is a huge and extremely diverse continent, and so you've had to navigate synthesizing those extremely diverse experiences in the Continental Report, and now you're going to have to do that on an even bigger scale in the global. I guess, can you talk to us about some of the, the challenges that arise and how you navigate, as Timothy Radcliffe said on the retreat, when different Catholics' hopes are contradictory? When you're synthesizing,
1: sometimes the challenge of synthesizing is that you know someone can say, "Hey, how come I didn't see my concern in that report?" But it's somewhere there. It's somewhere there, and and I think this is where the process of discernment is very important. You know, to be able to discern, or in in a simple language, to prioritize what's more important than other things. Not that it's not important. Yeah, it's, it's just like that
0: important's an interesting word choice. Yeah. There.
1: So in the sense that some some things need you know to be looked into quite urgently. Some things maybe, you know, a bit later, it has to find its cause, its way of uh, resolving itself. And I think that's what uh, I saw in Asia. And I think one thing about Asia is that we are so diverse and not just we are diverse. In most parts of Asia, Christianity is, is a minority. You know, we are, In
0: Malaysia, I think you're only Malaysia,
1: 10%. And almost all of Asia, except for the Philippines and, right. and East Timor predominantly Christian you know so the, the way we look at church the way of being church is quite different from another continent you know where, where Christianity is more acceptable uh, Christianity is, is you know uh, recognized as a moral voice in society so it's very different the way we look at church our concerns are, are very different from other parts of the world and I don't say that one is more important than the other but each one in his or her own context is trying to find a way to see, you know, the identity of the church and the role of the church, the relevancy of the church.
2: So, what is the message you would say that is coming from Asia to the Universal Church at the Synod?
1: Two things. If I, I'm just listening, and this is something that I, I've been reflecting on, two things that Asia brings. You know, I think I think one is uh, the, the diversity of cultures, and secondly, I think what we bring is we come from a place where we are a minority. You know, a, a lot of times people are struggling to keep the faith alive. And it's becoming more and more challenging because one of the things you see across Asia, and we saw it in the Asian continent, is that the public space of expression of faith is shrinking. You have been in Asia and you know the context of Asia also. It's becoming more and more difficult to express your faith publicly, you know. So in one part of the continent where you may say you want to beat your chest and say, yes, Jesus is Lord, in many parts of Asia you can't do that on a street. The other thing that I wanted to say is that, you know, for the churches in Asia, dialogue is very important. Because when you are a minority, you need to learn how to to live with each other. And, and sometimes that's the struggle. The struggle is, is that's why I, I was sharing in, in one of my groups, I said, I said, for us in Asia, dialogue is not a novelty. Uh, it's a matter of survival. It's a matter of whether you, you live or you die, in the sense that you have to learn how to coexist with others.
0: We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Before we move into the second part of our conversation with Father Clarence Davidas, let's hear from another sponsor of this week's show. Are you an animal lover, musician, mother, daughter? If you are or someone you love is, Saints for Sinners has a unique medallion for you. Each Saints medallion is one of a kind and beautifully handcrafted in New Orleans. Saints for Sinners medallions make great gifts for any occasion. They speak to everyone's experiences and passions, and they offer you and loved ones a wearable reminder of your saint's guidance, perspective, comfort, and most of all, the hope that your saint can bring to your life. Each medallion is imported from Italy and hand-painted in New Orleans, and you can buy them at saintsforsinners.com. Who's your saint? Take the quiz and find out at saintsforsinners.com. Take the quiz and get a new suggestion. Now back to our conversation with Father Clarence Davidas. Speaking of the contributions of the Asian church to the global synodal process, the final document from Asia references this theme of taking off your shoes. And that was kind of used as a symbol for the Asian church. Can you just talk about the significance of that, what it means and what you're hoping it communicates?
1: So when we're trying to synthesize the report, we asked ourselves what image can represent the church in Asia. We tried to find something that is common across Asia. And and we thought that taking off your shoes, you know, in, in Asia. And in most of the religions in Asia, when you enter into sacred places, you take off your shoes, except in our churches, we don't, we don't do that. <laughs> but the, the reality is that going to homes, you know, you, you take off your shoes. Uh, and I think that's a common customary uh, practice that we see in Asia. What does it mean for us? One, one of the things we talked about is that taking off your shoes is that we are entering into a sacred space. You know, this whole synodal journey uh, is a sacred moment. It's a, it's a moment where we are reflecting, we are praying. Taking off your shoes means also we are all on equal ground, you know. So whether you wear an expensive shoe or, or a torn shoe or a branded shoe, it doesn't really matter. When you take off your shoes, you know we just we all are, are barefooted, that we are all on level ground. And thirdly, I think important is when you take off your shoes, which includes your socks, you have your feet on the ground. You get the pulse of the earth, of what's happening. And we thought that, ah, this is something that we want to explore. When you have your feet on the ground, you actually feel the heartbeat of the people uh, and, and, and not just mask it with, with your shoes. Or you know, I'm speaking figuratively, the sense that you get to feel. So a lot of it is also taking off your shoes. I think humility was one of the things we talked about, you know. It, it makes us humble, all of us to take off our shoes, uh, to be able to stand before God, before one another as equals.
2: Asia is a continent of many young people in comparison with the West, which has an aging population. How well is the church connecting with young people in Asia? And how much of a concern is that at the Synod?
1: Well, you say that Asia is growing, and I was shocked just to hear last couple of days, I think in Korea, the birth rate is below one. In Asia, you also see more uh, developed nations uh, having an aging population. But I think in Asia, this is the challenge uh, with the young, because the the young are also very influenced by by social media, by whatever that comes to them from the west or from wherever else. And one of the concerns is that that the, the young are, are losing the the Asianness of of their parents and their grandparents, in the sense that you know. They are becoming more cosmopolitan, more sophisticated. Yeah, right. Like yeah. When,
0: when you spend so much of your life on the internet, there is all kind of one culture that comes together. Right. And then we all end up having sort of the same, same. online That's right. culture. Yeah,
1: because you, you see the same things, you read the same things, you know, and you view uh, on the internet all the same things. It is a challenge. I'm not saying it is not with young people. And I think the important thing is young people are beginning to ask more questions. I'm just comparing with my generation and it's not very far away in the sense that, you know, the young people are asking very tough questions, you know, and, and questions that we in the church, we just can't say that the church tells you so, the Bible says so, or because I'm your parent and I say so, you should do this. And young people are asking hard questions. Why should I go to church? Uh, Why why do I need religious education or catechism? So they're asking hard questions. And and sometimes I I laugh about this. When parents cannot answer, they say, you go ask Father. Father will have all the answers.
0: (laughs) Which I'm sure you love.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But but the reality is that I think it's the whole process. For young people, they're looking for answers. And and sometimes we struggle with that. And sometimes when the church does not offer them the answers, they, they look for answers elsewhere. And where do they go to? They go to the internet. That seems to be the source of all information. You know, this is Google is the biggest library that has all the information that it's offering to you. So we struggle with with young people. And I think here, he has been coming out repeatedly about young people. Young people who are not in our churches. So there's been a lot of conversations about we need digital missionaries that we need to, to be out there where the young people are because they are not in our churches anymore. How do we evangelize? How do we bring... Christ to them into the digital world. We started something known as Catholics at Home uh, during the pandemic when, when we had a lockdown and a few of us got together and said, what do we do? Because the thing is, none of us were trained. I mean, I wasn't trained in the seminary to do any of this. You know, <laughs> we, we didn't have a, a, a course. Of course, we had a course on, on, on media, but not as sophisticated as this. So we said, let's just jump in. And the funny part is that we didn't have a name for the podcast. So we said, what shall we call it? I mean, for a start, because everybody's at home, let's call it Catholics at home. And it stuck. Uh, and we've been going on since then.
0: Our colleagues on the Jesuitical podcast, which is more like young adult focused, just interviewed Jose Manuel Arquiti, who is in the Synod, is really, really into this idea of digital missionaries. And that's different from how the church has in the past talked about communications, you know, seeing it as... A means for proclaiming the gospel, right? As as just um just a medium. But now he is seeing a shift towards talking about the digital space as a world, as a culture, as a mission territory that requires evangelists who understand that culture the same as any other missionary. And I've heard in some conversations with synod participants about like one of the things that could come out of this is treating digital missionaries like missionaries, like trying to commission them, trying to give them uh, resources that they need to be formed for that kind of mission work. I wonder, I mean, without revealing too much about this in conversations, can can you tell us a little bit about what that is?
1: I think there is a general agreement that we need to do this, that it is time for us to, you know, not just talk about it. And I always say it's easy to talk about it, but it's also time for you to invest in it. Yes. Uh, resources. That's the most difficult thing to get. <laughs> right. uh, resources, uh, finances to, to, to have this thing. So I think in, in, in the discussions, there's a realization, not just to, to train digital missionaries, but also to accompany them. Because a lot of people are on media in one way or another. And to be able to accompany our people and it, it, it's something that you don't have to go out of here. When you, when you talk about missionaries those days, it's okay, I have to leave my home now. I just right, take one right. suitcase and, and take a, a flight or in those days take a boat and not think of coming back. But now you can do it from you know wherever you are. But having said that, I also was also kind of reflecting to realize that not every part of the world has access to to internet, to the digital world. And we should not forget the face-to-face encounter, the face-to-face experience uh, with Jesus and I think that's equally important. And sometimes, you know, in, in my own church, I tell people, if someone is sick in the hospital, don't send them an emoji of a flower.
0: Like, go. <laughs> go, Give right. them a flower.
1: So sometimes this is the thing. When we get into this technology, we forget the human reality.
2: One of the noticeable things from Asia, especially from the Philippines, they've gone all, all over the world, and they've become missionaries in a real sense. I mean, like St. Paul in, in his time. And they're the modern poles of the world. But you have this fact also from Asia, you have a lot of migrants. So, for example,
1: in Asia, some countries are the sending countries and some countries are the receiving countries. You know, Like in Malaysia, very often we are re- the recipients of, of migrants from, from the neighboring countries. Sending countries have challenges. Of course, parents leave their children. Uh, and a lot of times children are brought up by grandparents. So the dynamics of the family... Is now changing also. Uh, Receiving countries, now we have to find ways to to accompany them uh, in our parishes. So in in that sense, it is a huge problem. People leave for many reasons, for for political reasons, economic reasons, destruction of homes. They've had to leave their homes. Like you said, though they have left their countries, they have become missionaries in in the new places. Somebody mentioned in one of our conversations, and I'm not too sure whether this is what the Holy Father says, that they've become the smugglers of the faith. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, yes, I think that was yeah, yeah. yeah. expression. Yeah, that mm-hmm. he said that. And you know,
0: also unwilling missionaries. Right? Yeah, you know,
1: the reality is because when they go to a new country, they're going into harsh conditions. You know, life is not perfect. And what keeps them going is their faith. What else do they have to hold on to? They hold on to their faith. They believe in God. That even through this difficult moment where they have to work and to take care of their families, they turn to God. In that way, they become missionaries.
2: Yes, it was the history of the Irish when they went to the United States. And how big has this issue of migration, immigration uh, featured in the Senate?
1: It has come up in different ways uh, from different parts of the world. Bishops have brought this up about both sending countries and receiving countries. And there is a great acknowledgement that in some parts of the world, it's the migrant communities that keep the parishes alive. And there is a great acknowledgement to that. I'm not, I'm not just talking about exchange of priests, but just as ordinary people uh, who have who have kept the faith alive.
0: So we've talked a little about the insights that you hoped to bring to the Synod Hall from the Asian Church as a whole. Reversing that, what insights do you think that you'll be bringing home with you from this experience?
1: One of the things when people back home heard that I was coming to the Synod, everyone wanted to give me a wish list. You know, I would have had to pack a separate suitcase, just luggage, just to carry every everybody's wish. Can you say this to the Holy Father? Can you say this to the Synod? I, I told them, I said, it's also a time to listen what's happening to the other parts of the world. Our view of the world cannot be myopic. It cannot be just us. Yeah, the church is universal, and because it's universal, we also need to try and understand what's happening in other parts of the world. And I think one of the things I, w- I would like to take back, of course, this whole culture of discernment. For me, the whole experience of being here is that, you know, many people have a lot of expectations. You know, they, they want... Give us clear answers about this, about that, etc., etc. You know, I, and I remember, you know, you always think about going back to scripture and think about Martha and Mary. We say about, you know, one is being, one is doing. Then you go to the seminary; they say, oh, don't think with your head, think with your heart. And now we come here to the synod and think you know, whether we want of the outcome or do we want to focus on the process. There's always this this tension that's happening. I think what is really is that the synod is creating a new culture, a culture where Everybody is a stakeholder for the church, that we are sitting around table, discussing, sharing. Of course, some people are not too excited about, you know, it's tiring. Of course, listening is always tiring. And from my own experience, you know, I can, I can I can teach for two hours. I can speak, I can go on speaking, ask me to sit for confessions for two hours. Just listening is very tiring. You know, it's very, very draining. But it's a process of creating this new culture in the church where everyone has a place at the round table to articulate. It doesn't matter whether you agree with me or not, it doesn't really matter. It's a matter of, yes, I hear you, and I I try to understand where you're coming from. So what I'm taking back is this whole culture of of the Synod.
0: All right, Father Clarence, thank you so much for taking some time out of your hours and hours of listening, and also drafting now. For our listeners, you can find the Catholics at Home podcast on your favourite podcast app. We'll also link to it in our show notes. Father Clarence, prayers for the rest of your time here. I, I hope that it Goes the way the Holy Spirit wants it to.
2: And we hope we will have you on again. Yes, please. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Colleen. Thanks, Jerry, for having me on the podcast.
0: Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by me, Colleen Deli, and Ricardo da Silva with production assistance from Zach Davis. Kevin Christopher Robles is our audio engineer. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on X at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also follow me on X and Instagram at Colleen Dully, that's C-O-L-L-E-E-N-D-U-L-L-E. And you can follow our Vatican correspondent Gerard O'Connell on X at Jerry O. Rome, that's G-E-R-R-Y-O-R-O-M-E. Please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Media, just click on the link in our show notes. It's really easy to do, and it's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. And for this month of the Synod, what little is left of it, you can get your digital subscription for only one dollar. And if you have a little time to spare, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Delli. We'll see you next time.